It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world, especially around the world today. I'm sitting here with my good buddy, Jeff Snook. Uh, The 2021-2022 season is over, Jeff. We're sitting here. We're going to have a little fireside chat about what we experienced through this this past college football season, how it ended, and talk a little bit about Ohio State going forward, what Jeff sees – coming around the corner for Ohio State, because uh, he pays attention to Ohio State about as much as anybody. He's all, is, and as everybody knows, I always refer to him as my good buddy, Jeff Snook. That's your first two names, his good buddy. But welcome to the Tim May Podcast again, my man. Thanks for having me again, uh, Tim. I sure appreciate it. I always enjoy your podcast. Uh, you have great guests on uh, and uh, do a hell of a job at it. Well, thank you very much. Uh, you read that almost exactly the way I wrote it. Um, the cool thing about today is we're sitting in front of a fire for a couple of reasons. We're uh, at an unnamed location. And number two, it's eight degrees outside, Jeff. This fire feels pretty good, doesn't it? That's why I'm headed back to Florida in five days, Tim. I've had enough of this weather already in uh, January. I'm ready to get back south and uh, just stayed long enough to take care of some business up here in Ohio. And I am out of here going south on Saturday. I don't yeah. know how you live here. Yeah, you've got a tough life, man. I tell you what, I moved up here from Texas way back when, 1976. Stayed here because I like the fact that the seasons change as opposed to it being 90 degrees every day and uh, humidity out the out the wazoo, et cetera. Uh, I enjoy uh, I enjoy for the most part Ohio winters. I hate February though. February's the worst month of the year as far as I'm concerned. Uh, January isn't too good either. I like two seasons up here. I like summer and a summer season and football season, and well, then I'm gone. The great thing about January though is the snow is still fresh. You feel pretty good. February, one day it's snowing, one day it's raining. It's always mucky, et cetera. But speaking of muddy and mucky and stuff, this was a year of upsets. This was a year of strange happenings in college football, and yet the two teams that by the second or third week of the season you thought were going to be the two best teams in the country, at least according to the most of the polls, et cetera, ended up playing for the national championship. Georgia, it's so tough to beat a team two times in a row or two times in one year, as Alabama found out. Georgia, I thought, dominated for the most part the national championship game. What was just your take on the way this season ended? Did it go about the way you thought? Well, in that some, was three questions at once. In I'm some regards, it did. Uh, uh, Georgia, I think was obvious by the time Alabama struggled a little bit and got beat by AM, it became obvious that Georgia probably had the best three facets of the game, offense, defense, and special teams, and they were the team to beat. And then uh, let's face it, Alabama could have lost maybe three or four games. Yeah. Auburn, LSU, uh, what's the third team game of battle besides AM? Florida. Uh, Florida, that right there, they could have yeah. lost any one of all those games and not even been in it. I mean, Auburn had them down the two-yard line with a minute. 48 left. They had a fourth and six at one point. So that would have been the opening for maybe Ohio State's Big Ten to get in the uh, playoff. And as it turns out, Michigan ended up doing it by uh, beating them in the robbery game. But no, I think the, the, the most consistent team was Georgia. They won the national championship. The second team that did enough to get in and uh, beat Cincinnati was Alabama. So probably the two best teams ended up playing. I think Ohio State still maybe had the best offense. Agreed. And yet they just couldn't match it with enough complimentary football to have a defense to get them in the playoff, as we saw in Ann Arbor. So it probably worked out the way it's supposed to work out. It's unfortunate for the rest of the country that two SEC teams were in the championship again. I got a feeling the ratings haven't come out. I got a feeling this won't be a highly rated uh, TV game as far as uh, the college football playoffs concerned. Uh, yeah. It was so regional. It was so boring through three quarters that I think it turned a lot of fans off. I might be wrong, but I'm anxious to see the ratings come out on this game. Pretty funny. The over-under on that game was 52 points. Ended up being 51. (laughs) What was it at the end of the third quarter? It was something ridiculous. But you knew with a national championship on the line, somebody, some big play was going to be made. Uh, They were going to just throw everything they had at it, especially in the fourth quarter. It was was an interesting game in the fourth quarter, agree? Yeah, I think it was 13-9 to going in the fourth quarter. So it was 22 total points. 
and then they had a flurry. I think Georgia outscored them 20 to nine in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And there was a lot of big plays that we expected all, all game long. And it finally came to fruition in the fourth quarter. But no, that first three quarters, it was a snooze fest to me, a bunch of field goals being kicked. It reminded me, and I told you this, reminded me of the LSU Alabama rematch. And I think that was 2011 in New Orleans, I believe. And it was the same type of game. And, you know, the, the, that game was terrible. That was yeah. a terrible championship yeah. game. Well, that's why you don't want rematches. I mean, I, you know, we, we've we talked about this many times. You, you know, and if Auburn had taken care of business, there wouldn't have been one. But it was what it was. Uh, let's just, before we move on, uh, do you see that waning at all? Is the SEC, and I know Ohio State fans especially, uh, mainly populate this podcast, um, are getting, like most everybody else, is getting sick of the Alabama story, getting sick of the SEC lording over story, when in fact, if you look at the SEC, you take the top top two, possibly three teams away from there, quite a mediocre showing in, in the postseason, for example, where the, people will say that's not a referendum, but when they have a good showing, it is a referendum. I thought the Big Ten had a pretty good postseason, uh, which showed, in my opinion, exemplified the strength of the of this uh, conference from top to bottom. I thought the SEC, you know, obviously the SEC had a very poor postseason performance, except they had two teams play for the national championship. So where should we put the SEC in the realm of things? Well, the SEC is top heavy. Let's face it. I yeah. mean, when you got Georgia and Alabama and then there's a drop off afterwards, it's a top heavy conference right now. It doesn't have the depth that it had in the past. In the past, Florida was good. LSU was good. Tennessee was good. Auburn was good, and none of that happened yeah. this year. Half of them fired coaches. So it's very top-heavy. I think the Big Ten was still probably the best conference, especially the Big Ten East. The Big Ten started 5-0 and in bowl games and then lost four of their last five. I think they finished 6-4 and four because Ohio State won the Rose yeah. Bowl. And Penn State did not pull their end of the bargain at all. They played off on the bowl game. It was a bad matchup with Arkansas. They had no offense. And uh, from Washington, Kentucky play, I think James Franklin went with the wrong quarterback. I love Will Levis. And Sean Clifford, to me, has never really proven much. And now they got the kid coming in from a dime, and Clifford's coming back, so he'll wait another year. But some of James Franklin's coaching decisions, to me, I, it always leaves me shaking my head. Yeah. And yet they just gave him a massive extension. So, But top to bottom, I still think the Big Ten was the best conference this year. And uh, the SEC was probably two, followed by the ACC and the Pac-12. Uh, Pac so. Yeah, you know, but it's really funny, Jeff, in this age. You coaches literally have to make a gut call on that quarterback anymore and it's really funny because when you make the gut call on this guy then this guy leaves I mean the the transfer portal is changing everything and you, you look at Oklahoma right now they had as exciting a quarterback as almost there was in the in the country in Caleb Williams and now there's a good chance Caleb Williams as we record this could end up at USC with his former uh, Oklahoma coach Lincoln Riley I mean that's you know there's I don't know how you get a handle on this thing but it is changing the face of college football as we speak. Like I said, you know, uh, I tweeted, you know, you, 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 you invest yourself as a fan into like different players. Next thing you know, they're, they may be playing for your, for your rival the next year. They may be playing across the country. You bought their Jersey, you know, you've done all this stuff. I just think, I think it's slowly, but surely this whole money thing is going to implode to a certain extent, college football, because the greed factor is ridiculous anymore. Well, let's face it. College coaches, if you put truth serum in their veins, would tell you they hate two things about the game right now, and they all hate it. Yeah. NIL and the transfer portal. Yeah. They cannot come out and say it because they're free to take other jobs, as you saw this offseason. Brian this Kelly. has been the transfer portal of coaches. Right. This Brian year. Kelly, yeah. Lincoln Riley, and go on down the list. So the last thing they want to be is hypocritical and come out and say they hate this, but they do hate it. Yeah. They don't like investing in recruiting a quarterback, developing for two years, yeah. and all of a sudden he doesn't win the job and he's off somewhere else using the knowledge and skills you taught him. Yeah. And it's an it's a, just an open free market now. The NIL, now we're seeing that seep into recruiting. AM probably had the best class in the country this year. That's yeah. not a coincidence. They got some money to throw around where this is headed. You know, these coaches, I saw Nick Saban and uh, and uh, Kirby Smart the other day plead for Congress to get involved for a, a universal 50 state rule or law. And that'll probably happen Yeah, because you can't happen. You can't have different laws and rules from state to state. It just is not a level playing field. But it, to be honest with you, I think it's a mess. And yet the advocates for players' rights and responsibilities and for them to make money are going to fight against 
uh, fight against uh, that and, and, and be proponents of the system. And coaches don't like it at all. I mean, we all know that. Yeah, you know, people who follow my podcast know I have Austin Ward on all the time. And he's my co-pilot usually. Uh, and uh, had Kirk Herbstreit on. I brought that up, you know, with both of them over the last several weeks is the fact that the if there is a blame to be cast in this whole situation, it is on the NCAA, which is the collective of Ohio State, Alabama, USC, Clemson, you know, anybody you want to indict uh, in this thing, they are the NCAA. They just kept kicking that can down the, down the road about pay for play, et cetera. Then they let states step in and start making laws, not guidelines, laws that allow student athletes to benefit from their name, image, and likeness, which, by the way, the benefit was the NCAA team schools didn't have to pay the players now, at least for a while. So the players are getting paid by third party, but then they let this transfer, they agreed to this transfer portal thing to look like they are all things to all people because of the coaching situation that changes every year for these guys. And they let it run amok thinking maybe they could get a handle on it. There's no way to get a handle on it now, no. in my opinion, without laws being passed. And I'm not sure you can keep a guy who you've told now can make money, you know, on his name, image, and likeness from doing that. How can you, how can you renege that right? How can you pass laws that keep a player from transferring from one school to another, from one state to another, uh, without trampling on his rights? Uh, that's what they've let out of the gate. And I don't think there's any getting it back. I think they just are going to have to like learn to live with the, with the situation, let everything calm down and uh, let a little peace uh, ride. I, I don't know. I don't know what law or laws you could pass that would really put a harness on this thing. Well, I think the NIL, you could just make it uniform. You now, make it uniform, but you can't, it's still going to be there. Yeah. It's still going to be there. And when it seeps into recruiting, that's where, you, to me, you have the problem. Inevitable. It's, it's one thing, and once you sign with a school and you enroll at that school, now you seek out the best deal you can find for your name, image, and likeness. But when it involves recruiting, I'm going to sign with so-and-so. If I get so much, that's where they have a problem. And that's going to, until they regulate this, it's going to continue to get worse. And you could buy recruiting classes. You can align yourself with corporations or sponsors. I mean, Miami this past year, I think they had a... Uh, fitness sponsor give everyone on that roster $500 every time they tweeted yeah. or mentioned on social media his uh, establishment 500 bucks instantly and it could be a third string offensive guard yeah. he was tweeting all day long about this place but there, there's so many things that are going on now and coaches can't keep up with it I imagine they're employing different people to monitor all this uh, in every athletic department but you know it, it's just it, it is well that's the whole thing the athletic departments aren't supposed to be involved. I mean, the only thing they really have is like whether or not, whether a, you know, they, you know, like in Ohio, you know, you can't have a tobacco, you can't you know, sponsor by tobacco, hard liquor or beer. And uh, uh, what's the other, you know, the adult industry, uh, for example. Right. Cause casinos are involved in it. Right. And then, and that's the point is like, uh, you know, every state has kind of like their own little uh, nuances to the rule I liken this almost to like the NCAA rule book. You know, the NCAA rule book used to be like three pages when it first started. It's that thick because everybody found loopholes, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And we're thinking the other team's getting richer. You know, these bastions of higher education and so-called morality don't, don't trust the other school to do things the right way, to be upfront, to be ethical. So you have to pass laws that make them be that way or rules in the case of the NCAA. That's what's going to happen with this. You're going to continue to like add on to it of what you can and can't do. You're, but you, what you can't do is trample on the guy's rights once he's been given those rights. And I think that's going to be the toughest part about getting this back in the corral. Yeah, there's no going back in time. Like I said, I think they're just going to regulate certain parameters of it. Yeah. But when I said athletic departments might employ, they're employing people to look at, see what other schools are doing. Of course. And making sure they're playing by the rules, the rules that are in place. You don't want your rival have a big corporation there that's getting involved with the recruiting because uh, you're going to start losing some four-star kids that way. But you so, see this, but you see this thing that Ohio State has started, you know, where, you know, Brian Schottstein tweeted about that he's put Cardale Jones in charge right, of, right. I mean, you know, everybody's trying to step in there. Like you're talking about the slush fund for one of another term at Texas for linemen, right. uh, you know, that they're guaranteed a certain amount of money per year. Uh, where does it stop? But what's happening now is the NIL and transfer portal are merging in a way. Yeah, where exactly. Caleb Williams, I think, might be in it was this, inevitable. Might be in this category 
where he enters name in the portal to see if he might have some lucrative deals somewhere else before he decides whether to not go back to Alabama or I'm sorry, Oklahoma or go back to somewhere else. I mean, he could go yeah. back to Oklahoma, but he might, he might, I think he might've put his name in there just to see if somebody makes him an offer he can't refuse. And we saw what Charlie Batch did for Eastern Michigan. He offered him a million dollars to go to his alma mater yeah. because he's the president of an investment fund and has the money. Now he's not going to play in the Mac. Let's face it. Eastern Michigan, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. He's not going to end up there, but that's an example of what could happen. Yeah. Some, uh, some powerful CEO or somebody with money could tweet, come to my university. I will sponsor you. And I, I, I see it going that way with star players uh, that are out for payday. And let's face it, a lot of kids are not going to, if they're third to fifth round picks, might not come out to the NFL draft where they would in the past, or maybe second round picks, because they're going to make just as much money in college now. So there's all kinds of uh, branches and tangents to both of these rules that I, you know, I think they haven't thought of until now, until they happen. Yeah. But it's, you know this. I don't know why I'm even whispering because I'm talking on a podcast. Uh, <laughs> the rich are going to get richer in terms of sure. the big time program. Sure. Because, you know, a lot of people have always whispered. Whispered may not be the right term. They've always had this kind of, you know, uh, ability to flex their muscle when they have to, et cetera. And you're seeing the ones you're seeing flex their muscle, the ones or the, or, you know, the usual suspects, uh, as Kevin Spacey would call them. I mean, it's like it's it's interesting because it's not really helping the little guy. It's just really uh, rewarding players who put their uh, blood, sweat, and tears and bones in jeopardy every Saturday. In August, Nick Nick Saban said yes. at SEC Media Days that Bryce Young, who hadn't started the game, you sure you want this? You know, go had, ahead. And started at a, at a uh, hadn't started at Alabama yet. Said he would probably make over a million dollars that year. He came out and said that for a reason. Yeah. And that appeals to recruits, but uh, you know he's very calculated in what he says or doesn't say. And it was it was uh, it was a wise thing to say. Did you hear when I asked Ryan Day at the Big Ten uh, conference like a week know. later? I said, I said, you know, Nick Saban says his quarterback. I'm paraphrasing. Nick Saban says his quarterback has already got uh, possibly a million dollar deal or bigger. And I said, do you do you feel like you're costing your possible starting quarterback money before you name him? Yeah, by that name, <laughs> he was pretty good about it. But. Uh, you know, he just went into the, you know, the whole thing about they want to see these guys prove themselves, blah, blah, blah. But uh, look, yeah. at, look at how Quinn Ewers manipulated the system. Dig. The yeah. money he made at Ohio State for never playing it down. But I think he suited up for one or two games. He did now, hand off twice. That ain't what you handed off twice against Michigan State. I yeah. Believe. And then he comes, uh, he enters his name in the transfer portal. He's still looking for more money where he's going to land, Texas yeah. Tech or Texas. Yeah. And I guarantee he was guaranteed, uh, that's a double guarantee, of pr pretty good money to go back to Texas where he originally committed. So, I mean, he used it twice. See, I thought this thing was going to be, and now I'm having my doubts about it. I thought this thing was going to sort of police itself eventually, meaning first couple of years is going to be chaos. I had, uh, you know, uh, Luke Fedlam, big, really great lawyer in Columbus, but he's been a, he's been an expert on this name, image, and likeness thing coming for several years. I've had him on my podcast a couple of times, and we both agreed in the beginning there was going to be like a wild, wild west because everybody's trying to get theirs, you know. But eventually with companies or corporations, you know, you give somebody, let's say half a million dollars, eventually you have to justify that from a bottom line standpoint. But left out of that equation <laughs> is the good time Charlies who's all, who've always been in and around big time programs, you know, who don't necessarily have to justify it to anybody. They can start their own little, like you want what you want to call it, uh, an LLC or something uh, that this guy's promoting. <laughs> You can call, man, that this guy, this player or players are promoting, and you can say it's justified. I mean, that's the loophole in this whole thing. Oh, I need a cough button. That's okay. Uh, uh, tickle my throat. Yeah, you know, that's why I said uh, Congress is going to get involved. They're, I, I expected this offseason that they're going to pressure them to take this issue up and make it uniform. There's, they have to. Yeah. Because there's just there's 50 different rules, 50 different states. And uh, the coaches want them to get involved. They don't want that pressure on themselves to compete with schools or rivals in another state that it's not a level playing field. So, yeah, uh, I think. Uh, have you taken a look at Congress lately? <coughs> I have. Number two. You want to talk politics? Number two. How many representatives and well, two senators, how many representatives does like Texas have uh, in Congress? How many? I mean, this idea that Congress is going to step in and they're going to be like the sort of the. Uh, Supreme Court of this and come up with a fair and equitable 
kind of situation, I, in my opinion, is far-fetched because there, a lot of this has been politically driven to first, in the first place to get these state laws that allowed name, image, and likeness. Well, I think it's going to happen. I mean, they get involved in things they shouldn't be involved in to begin with. They could have been with. involved last year, and they kept kicking. They kept right. kicking the can down. The but I think street. it's gotten to the point where so many. I like saying kicking the can. I think state lobbies and people on the state level are going to push them to get involved because the coaches, who are the highest paid public employees in all these states, are going to pressure them to do so. Yeah. And there's no way around it. And whether it happens this year or next year, it's going to happen. It but, has to happen. But you got to figure. Everybody's got a uh, iron in the fire. And you got to figure they're going to be looking for the best case scenario for their best, for their for their team in their state, meaning Alabama, meaning Ohio State, meaning University of Texas and Texas A&M, both of whom wield some considerable power in that state. Run them down the line, Florida, the Florida schools, they're going to be looking out for their best interest. Well, I know. We, I, think, I think coming to a compromise on that is going to be tough when you're trying to convince a guy in Wyoming What's good for a guy in Alabama? To, sum, to sum this up, I think we've spent enough time on this subject. We ought to talk about football. Okay. I, mean, I don't think fans really get into but this, this is, NIL. Point. This is driving the future of college yeah, football. It, it, it's, I mean, it's it's almost like uh, national signing days, et cetera, now, and that initial class you get, that's just a almost like a tryout camp, both for the, for the players involved and for the coaches involved. Are you going to play me? If not, I'm leaving. Yeah. I mean – that's where we're going, especially with this. quarterbacks. And uh, I think there's going to be a lot of what's going to really fix things a little bit is there's going to be a lot of people in the transfer portal. I think there's three thousand or more in the transfer portal this year. Some ungodly number who aren't going to be picked up or aren't going to find paradise. That's exactly right. That's going to help. I would fix always it. like to see the number of that three thousand yeah. by the time camp begins in August. How many of them didn't find a landing spot? Yeah. And they're without a scholarship now. Yes. There's no obligation to take them back. Yeah. Now, the quarterbacks are going to find a way. The top-level players are going to find a place to play. But I want to see how many entered that portal, just like kids that came out early in the old days, that didn't stick on an NFL roster. That yeah. number always intrigued me where they were short-sighted. They got bad advice. They needed to come back and play their senior years. And they ended up assigning not being drafted, signing as a free agent and not making the roster. Yeah. And they'd go back to the stadium and watch their teammates play when they could have been down there on the field. Which – and you might have the same thing with the portal. Which led me on this sightseeing tour that I wanted to get to in land before we move on. You know, I don't see how college football can get a handle on this without, number one, starting some type of pay-for-play situation, which allows you to sign a guy to a contract. I mean, it would be a contract in, 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 instead of a letter of intent uh, or a scholarship papers. You sign him to a contract. Now, he's obligated to you. He's obligated to play under your rules. He's obligated to play under the rules that set forth by your league or your NCAA, whatever your governing body is. That's where they have to get to. If they don't get to that, they're not really going to fix this situation. If I'm a player, that's the last thing I want to see happen. You know, I, I can go back even further. I'm so old school in my thinking sometimes, and I haven't progressed the way maybe my kids think I should. But a lot of times when I hear players and student athletes complain about the system yeah, and don't like the way things are set up. I always say, you know, you're on a free scholarship, room books, tuition, room, uh, room and board, uh, uh, counseling, academic advisors, the uh, training table. When I walk through there, look at the training table now compared to a team in the early 80s or late 70s is remarkable. I always say, you know, you didn't have to take that scholarship to go play sports or football at a university. You could have gone to trade school. You could have become a plumber, an electrician, dig ditches, be a garbage man. You could do anything you want to do in this life. Semi-pro football. Whatever you want to do. You didn't have to go do that. Yeah. I mean, but I see, I just see a lot of kids, I think, expect things given to them without earning it or don't realize it's a privilege. Yeah. And it is a privilege to me to, to get a free college education and play college football. And you can also get a graduate degree if you play the system right and stay eligible and do all the right things. That should set you up for life. But if, every time I make that argument, I get shouted down as the guy on the front porch, get off my yard type of thing. And so yeah. I, I've got to the point where maybe I don't make it as much. Yeah, this idea that they're playing for free is just ludicrous, number one. Number two, the developments you get at a big-time program like Ohio State from a Mickey Marotti a weight, weight and strength training program to, uh, you know, quarterback development by Ryan Day and his staff, et cetera. You know, we're going to touch on a couple of things, whether they're getting developed defensively or not in a minute. <laughs> but, uh, but you know what I mean? Uh, that's facetious, I just said, but, but the bottom line is, yeah, there's a lot involved there, but, you know, it's gone past the idea though, that, that 
that that that that is all it's worth because they are making boatloads of money on your ability to go out and run, well, block, and tackle. There's two different things, and, and they are. But I always revert back, and my experience is I've written football history books at Oklahoma, Nebraska, Ohio State, uh, one at Florida, where I got to know alumni football players that may be anywhere from 50 to 90 years old. And the stories they would tell me growing up poor, not being able to go to college, except for one thing, they played football. Yeah. They never would have got a college degree. And when I talked to them, they have the perspective of a 70 or 80 year old man that wouldn't have gone to college otherwise, wouldn't have had a degree. They're only one in their family to ever get a degree in what they made of their life because of that degree, which was because of football. And they're in the thousands, the yeah. stories they would tell me, they're in the thousands. People like Daryl Royal, for instance, told me great stories growing up poor in the Depression and uh, went to Oklahoma, ended up a legend in Texas. And I'm fascinated by those stories. And I don't think the younger generation even realizes it, how these guys consider them fortunate to be introduced to the game of football, which changed their lives forever and cemented legacies, built their net worth, developed families, met their wives at that university yeah. and i can go on and on and on but it just sounds so old school that it just it loses its effect sometimes but uh, but i believe in it well, i believe in it too uh but i also believe in reward for you know when it's over and above you know the amount of money involved now compared to back then is outrageous in in all kinds of respects it, you know ohio state football program has float almost all the other sports involved for example i mean they're they're the jeopardy you face on a football field is so much more than you face yeah. on a field hockey field. I mean, just right on down the line from a physical standpoint, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, the thing that really bugs me though, right now about the transfer portal and about a lot of things that, that are involved with just life in general, much less college football, uh, college sports is, is the idea that uh, it's always somebody else's fault when things don't go sure. your way. I mean, that's the part I got, I got told that lesson a long time ago, man, about, uh, you know, if something wrong happens to you, take care of it yourself, right. a admit blame, admit culpability, whatever it is, but you take care of things yourself. You don't, if you turn around and are always blaming somebody else for your misfortune, boy, are you going to have a tough life? I've always believed when it comes to NCAA athletics, a trickle down effect. And the way I look at that is the biggest schools, the biggest conferences, Ohio state, Michigan, or whatever, Sure, they're the ones making the most money. So if you sign to play with them and you're talking about the money they're making, you're not getting paid. The trickle-down effect is they have the better facilities. They have the they have the most assistant coaches are not, not on I'm field. I'm going to run out of fingers here. Not on field coaches. Yeah. Uh, they have the best counselors. They have the best trainers. They have the best physical, uh, the best doctors, the, the best rehab. And they're almost, they're almost all trying to get better every year. And their locker rooms yeah. today are Taj Mahal's. Yeah. Everything about them is the best in the NCAA. Yeah. So if you don't want to be involved with that, if you think they're making too much money, you can always sign with the Mac school. If you're a five-star player, a Mac school will take you. Yeah. Uh, you can maybe try to get in the Ivy League where they don't have scholarships and try to get on your academics. But you, can, you this is a free country. You do whatever you want to yeah. do if you have talent. Yeah. But if you, if you sign with one of these top schools, top 25 programs, with the Taj Mahal of everything, and you think you're not being exploited. Yeah, you think yeah. you're being exploited. Exactly. That's the word I'm looking for. You really don't have a good perspective. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I agree on almost everything you're saying there. <laughs> well, let's just, let's just jump into it real quick. Before yeah, we I think we turn fans off by talking about No, we don't. You know what? Because You know, if it turns them off, that's too bad because this is what this is what college football, major college football, which you and I grew up loving. I mean, absolutely. I get in a funk every year when college football season's over. Because I really like college football a lot. I'm not a big fan of basketball. I'm definitely not a fan of baseball. I like spring football. I mean, I like I'm watching guys develop, et cetera. I love spring games, even though they don't hit anybody anymore. I mean, there's just things about football. It's 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 like watching a, a ship being built every year. It's being changed a little bit. And you've got a head coach who's that's why Nick Saban is so revered. He's taken all manner of assistant coaches and still turned out pretty much the same product year after year after year. I mean, it's, there is such genius involved in a lot of things. When you watch Ryan day, you know, with this offense, the greatest offense uh, in college football this year. Yeah. They had some shortcomings, which you're not going to talk about in a second, but I mean, 
just the entertainment value of college football right now well, is off the chart. You know how I feel. And you and I built our careers around covering college football. Yeah. Uh, I think it's the greatest game going. It has been for decades and it will be continued. Even those some of these road bumps are minor problems, I think. They'll get ironed out. Yeah. It's still the best game going. If you compare Saturdays to Sundays, at least in my house, I mean, I watch every game possible on Saturday. Yeah. Sunday, I might do some chores or paperwork while an NFL game's on and the sound's down. It's not the same. Yeah. And if you go to a stadium and you see the marching bands, you see the atmosphere, the alumni come back for every game, you have a built-in lifetime built around these, these programs and you're invested in them. And uh, especially the big programs, I mean, it's a way of life. And I love that part of it. I, I'm a proponent of the game. Yeah. And I've written such in lots of books of be a proponent of the game. And its flaws or freckles, uh, I think, are a lot smaller than people make them out to be. I think the overall advantages of the game, and if you get your degree and do the things right and have that camaraderie, and you come back to this stadium the rest of your life, you get a different perspective of what you went through than when you're 18 to 22 playing the game. Yeah. So yeah. that's just my feelings. And uh, I don't think they'll ever change. They put me in the ground, but the, I, I love the game. I always will. Like I said, it's the, if, I can't imagine life without college football in the fall. Yeah. And we almost went through it a year ago through some bad decisions of some commissioners, but they were fixed. But just imagine going through a college football season or the fall, let me put it that way, the fall, with the leaves fall and no college football. Yeah. I, I'd know, be miserable. You know, Anybody who's watching this podcast or listening to this podcast, they don't, I mean, uh, they, they agree with me and you, I think, on a lot of that. And the ones who aren't, you know, the people who could do without sports, could do without football, could do with, I mean, I just. Let's hear your I, comments, folks. Do you agree with us or not? No, yeah, exactly. But the bottom line is, you know, I, I, I can't imagine life without this great form of entertainment and uh, exhilaration. I mean, it's like you and I were sitting there watching that game. Uh, on your television, the uh, national championship game and, or watching the Rose Bowl, for example, I'm out there live getting the you know, privilege of watching it live, but I'm just going, man, if you're just like, if you're not a fan of either one of these two teams, but you're a fan of college football, if you're, how are you not entertained to the nth degree from that kind of football game? You know, I mean, it was, it was crazy entertainment. To piggyback on that on bowl season, I heard Danny Cannell played at Florida State, and I knew him back in the day a little bit, talked to him several times. Uh, that was at the end of my career in Florida State, and I was at Florida, but I got to know him a little bit. His dad was a team doctor for the Dolphins for like 30 years. He actually said the words, there's too many bowl games. This is a mess. There shouldn't be 42 bowl games. And I thought, here's a guy that covers college football, that played college football, that says such a thing. That makes his living. And covering college I think I might have watched bits or parts or all of all 42 because I got multiple screens and there might have been one I missed uh one of those Mountain West games but most I, I know I watched over 39 of them. yeah I watched well over 30 and when I watched the 30 39 uh, faces and of the players from those 39 teams that walked off that field a winner you can't tell me they're meaningless you can say the word meaningless but they're meaningless in the big picture of going to the NFL of opt-outs and so forth money or whatever they're not meaningless to the winners and he watched the losers it meant something to them they have experiences the rest of their life you and i've covered i think i've covered at least one bowl game since 1981 some years i did two uh so that means i've covered over 40 to 45 bowl games yeah. you, you have two yeah and being on site for the whole week and seeing the things they go through the hospitals they go to during the games pre-pandemic the charities they did, the, the the things they did, they built lifetime memories. And you talk to players that are now mature, and they'll talk about those days. Those are the funnest times of their lives. Yeah, and uh, they're with their buddies too. They're I mean, with their buddies. Yeah. The camaraderie of the locker room, everything about it, the travel involved. Uh, I mean, lifelong friendships are made. I, I'm just, you know, I sound Pollyanna, but I but I do believe in it. But it, what's what's major? Two great examples I'm looking at from from the bowl season that that go right to the heart of that is. The Music City Bowl, the fourth quarter of that game. Purdue, Tennessee. That was as crazy a football game great, as you ever done. They're moments. both trying extremely. How about that? that was a sold-out stadium? Extremely, exactly, and extremely hard. Tennessee, 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 Purdue. They're trying extremely hard, both teams, to win that ball game because they know what it means for them coming out of the year, going into the next year. The place is packed, and it helps that Tennessee uh, is the is one of the teams in the game. Uh, but uh, it was a crazy game, and in Michigan State and uh, Pitt. You know, we talked about it. You know, uh, Pickett didn't play in the game. Uh, Pitt's fine, uh, Heisman finalist quarterback 
uh, against that secondary, that Michigan State secondary, where you probably could have thrown for 500 yards. Um, uh, but that game, Michigan State's down. They come roaring back and win the game. I mean, it's like, you know, Notre Dame, Oklahoma State. Notre Dame takes a, a huge lead. Oklahoma State comes roaring back. Uh, uh, clearly, once you get into the game, these guys do care about winning and losing. You know, you watch an NFL game at the end of the year, uh, and why, why are two teams that aren't going to make the playoff even trying it, whatever? Because pride kind of kicks in. I mean, well, when you put teams on a field with something at stake, they almost always rise to the occasion. To sort of echo a little bit of what Kirk Herbstreet said, and we both know him. Yeah. And he he's taken a ton of flack for what he said on game day on January 1 about opting out. And I understand both sides of this argument, as we see with guys getting hurt. Jameson Williams last night. Yeah. Uh, don't have a report on him yet. It might be an ACL. Uh, Lathan Ransom uh, for yeah, Ohio State. Yeah, and there was another high, need pro- a report on him. another high profile injury in bowl season. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but I understand where he's going. Well, Matt Corral got his ankle. Yeah, sprained his ankle, but it was just an ankle sprain. Yeah, that was it. It turned out not to be that serious, yeah. and, and so he'll be fine by the time that. But everybody jumped on that immediately. Like, yeah, see, right? Yeah. yeah, and and that I cringe every time I see it. Because Jake Butt was a prime example back in the oh, day, goodness, yeah. and uh, I just, I, it, it makes me cringe a little bit because, uh, and I've heard, I've heard reporters, uh, not to pick on the industry, but right when a bowl game's over, and they'll talk to the winning coach, and what does this mean for recruiting? And I'm like, recruiting? That's the last thing that coach is thinking about is, I want a game, so I'm going to have a better recruiting class. He's thinking about his seniors that yeah. he sent out a winner. Yeah. But there's so much, you know, involved with the bowl game, winning or losing, and the momentum you take forward. It, uh, these little fringe things are so much to the side. I don't know coaches pay attention to them. I told, I told Kirk Herbstreit on my podcast a few weeks ago, I said, you know, the funny thing about college football, though, when you really think about it, these are exhibition games, finally. They are exhibition games. I mean, I mean, it's putting two teams together that don't usually get together, et cetera. The thing about college football is the season's upside down. If you put those games, if you put Ohio State Utah at the top of the schedule, if you put these matchups at the top of the schedule – every year, but you can't do that. You can't go back and reinvent the wheel in terms of the postseason and uh, where it's scheduled. Cause you know, they did, they did try to reinvent the wheel with the kickoff classic, the picks in classic, uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, Anaheim one. yeah, well, that was the, that was the pick skin classic. Yeah. And then, uh, uh, the Eddie Robinson game, et cetera. They did try to put some of these exhibition games at the beginning of years, which kind of worked for a while. I mean, I state played and went three or four of them, et cetera. But, you know, it's, the postseason is so involved with the holidays uh, around New Year's Eve, New Year's, et cetera. But if they go to a 16-team playoff, uh, well, they got to do something because you can't incorporate every bowl into that, no. and it, it, everything would get lost in the wash there. The news out of it. I mean, they're going to be there are going to be first round games and that that people aren't going to watch the news from bill hancock and out of indianapolis this past week is they're going to push that farther down the road we're yeah. going to stick it for for a while and, yeah and i know bill hancock and i think right now that's a wise decision now a lot of people are going to jump all over that they think it should be expanded but you know i, I revert to a quote i think it's taylor munford said after the rose bowl looking back at your career what do you remember what did he say do you remember no, i don't remember he said the rose bowl is going to be my best memory yeah that's very revealing to me you know, it just it just is. That's my best. That comeback is going to be my best memory. Ladies and gentlemen, if you didn't watch Rose Bowl, you missed the greatest pass catching and run performance by a wide receiver in bowl history in Jackson Smith and Jigba. 15 catches, 346 yards. You missed the greatest passing performance, game passing performance by an Ohio State quarterback in history and C.J. Stroud in the second greatest uh, in bowl history. Uh it's just too bad if you didn't tune into the Rose Bowl. But, you know, if you're watching this podcast, you probably did. Real quick before we go, because <clears throat> like you said, we spend too much time. But once you and I get talking, ladies and gentlemen, we ought to just record our conversations in the middle of football games. It's crazy, right? I don't know. You might want to record them. You might want to play them back. Yeah, exactly. We divert into some tangents and topics that maybe we shouldn't talk about. Yeah, exactly. We often disagree. Uh, oh, we've had some Well, challenges. when I'm always right, that's always tough. You know, the Minnesota game was the opener, and Tim and I argued throughout that game about the Ohio State defense they were running, and I was a big critic of that defense, and Tim was defending oh, it. There is no way, Nothing. ladies and gentlemen, don't truth lie. and time, there is lie. no way I was defending don't anything. About from a def- I took about five oh, or six plays good. out of that, out of that game that showed how unsound God, Ohio State lined God up defensively. Is going to strike you down. And it was really, 
really I was talking amazing. about where the free safety was lined up and how in how in well, proper no, the, no, no, wait, how let me sound it was. And he yeah. argued with me repeatedly. And a week later, what happened against Oregon? Just about. And he had to make a change. We argued just about the, the use of one high safety as opposed to two high as opposed to two safeties. I was arguing where it, not the system, yeah. where he was lined up. Yeah. He was out but of the line. But if you played the way Oregon. I State played it, yeah, you're going to have problems uh, every day. And I saw that in the Oregon game when they couldn't crack, all kinds of things. And Tim comes around after the fact. and then But but before the fact, he uh, you argued with me all night. We were shouting at each other. We almost came to blows. Yeah, but uh, you just, man, as, as a, usually you misrepresent even where I stood on the situation. Let's get to something real quick. If you could make magic wand right now with Ohio State, obviously Jim Knowles is going to come in and try to fix this defense. Let's face it, man, Ohio State did not have a championship defense this year. Uh, even Ryan Day knows that. Is He said, got to get this thing fixed. Got to get it fixed. Uh, but offensively, what would you change about Ohio State? And, and I'm going to lead off with this. You and I were talking about this before we started this. They've got to, and I know Ryan Day knows this, they've got to come up with another idea about a power running game, about how to get to it, personnel involved, et cetera. Obviously, he's already let go Greg Stoudrawa. Uh, his, uh, well, he's been six years, was the uh, offensive line coach at Ohio State. They're bringing in, he's bringing in a guy he's known for a while, Justin Fry from UCLA, who he knew before at like Boston College, et cetera. Uh, they want to get the offensive line fixed. In your opinion, as great as this offense was from a total yardage standpoint this year, which was mainly throwing the ball, and from scoring, which was, you know, what would you fix? What 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 would be the first move you would make? To well, fix? first of all, I want to come back to the defense after this. So yeah, we will. I said, but I want to get the offense first. Um, the first thing I would fix is the red zone offense, and I said it, wrote it uh, after the Penn State game. Yeah, is that they struggled in the red zone at uh, against Penn State? They struggled at Nebraska. And before they even went to Michigan, I thought for sure he would eventually go to two backs with Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson on the field at the same time. If he wants to be in the shotgun, because he loves a shotgun, to give them that shotgun look and throw in the they ball. They got under center. So they got under center quite a bit right. this year. But I'm yeah. saying you could flank them like Urban used to do with two backs, not to bring his name into it. But he did use that system very well. We could have two backs flanking the quarterback and shotgun. And they also have a lead blocker. If you look at it from a defensive standpoint, when you go to the pistol and they know they're going to run the ball and you're in a, you're in a run formation in the pistol, basically, they know the linebackers know Travion Henderson's getting the ball or whoever's back there. If you if you go to two backs, they don't know where they can't know which one's key and also gives you a lead block. And well, they interject and also they knew this year CJ Stroud was not going to run the He's ball. He's not going to run the ball. So I took away the option they have yeah. with Justin Fields. Yes. But my point was, once he struggled against Penn State, I thought for sure eventually he would do that and show it. They struggled in Nebraska. Same thing, kick field goals. You get down there, the field shrinks. You got it, and they know when they when you need to run the ball. There's no sense disguising it. Go to a run heavy formation, whether it's twenty two, two backs, two tights. And run the ball, but they don't know who's getting the ball. Yeah. So well, they do go to the run. I mean, they, they do go to the uh, well, they two go, guys, twelve personnel. They never put in two backs unless it's a so, fullback. And they, they, gonna, they jumped in the eye the a few times this right. year. You but know, with Mitch Ross is not going to carry the yeah. ball. So well, back to my point. Maybe. But, but I thought even after the Nebraska game, he would have it ready for Michigan for another reason. You might get bad weather, mm -hmm. and if you're going to coach in the Big Ten, especially when you play Michigan in the season-ending game, every other year you're going to be in Ann Arbor. Every other year you're going to be in Columbus. You don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. You need a package where you're not going to throw it all around the field, and you need to run between the tackles and have that ready to go. He never got that. The ready. most decisive play in that game at Michigan, you were there, uh, was third and short, uh, first possession, second right. half. When uh, Travion Henderson got stoned, got caught and from you, behind, and if you you're exactly right. And if you interviewed Michigan's linebackers, defense coordinator, I saw they came out and said something. But truth, truth be known, they knew who's getting the ball yeah. then because well, yeah. because you're in the pistol. And the only question is which way is he going, left or right? But the linebackers are keying on him. Yeah. They ran three straight running plays, had to punt. And I don't mind running the yeah, football right down the field with Christian play calls, but you need to disguise it in a way where you run heavy and they don't know which side you're going to. You also got a lead blocker. But Ryan Day needs to realize if you're going to coach the Big Ten, you're going to coach Ohio State, you're going to get one to three games in November where you're going to need to do that. And I don't think he's quite uh, 
converted to that way of thinking because if you look at the number of passes he threw at Michigan, the number of runs they had at Michigan in that weather, and I was there, and in case you watched on TV, TV did not do that game justice when it came to the weather. Yeah. It was blowing. It was snowing. It was 28 degrees. It was tough to uh, throw and catch the football, even though he had – Of course, up. after Michigan scores the first, they're on their first possession, second half, they're down two touchdowns. Now they've got to throw the ball. Well, now, not necessarily. Well, it's, I'm just it's saying the first half. what the thinking was. First half. Yeah. But I'll give you an Same example. Same thing in the I'll Oregon give, I'll give you an example. The first drive, Ohio State goes down the field. They got a second and goal on the three-yard line, and I'm it's right in front of me. And I said, right here is where you should run the ball – Two more times, hammer it in there. He threw a back shoulder fade to Chris Olave. The ball slipped out of CJ's hands. Cause right. of the weather was behind him, was almost picked. They end up settling for a field right. goal. There's more red zone problems because you refuse to run the ball in a run-heavy formation. And I okay. just kept thinking eventually he would go to it, knowing what's ahead weather-wise, and he just never did. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of coaches, he's 42 years old, might not have that perspective uh, yet of uh, the total picture. And they're thinking in the next play call, they got a package going into the game that's going to be good weather, everything equal conditions. And we saw Urban Meyer in 2015, home against Michigan State. You know, I've talked about this forever. He didn't have a plan B. The weather turned bad. He wanted to throw it all day long. And Zeke Elliott gets 11 carries, and they get beat 17 to 14 on a walk-off field goal. And that's a, that's a prime yeah. example of you better have a plan B in the Big Ten when weather is bad of how to run the football yeah. when they know you're going to run the football. Yeah. The interesting thing is Zeke had been in a, what been sick in the middle of that week, et cetera. Oh, and the a, interesting no, no, and the interesting thing about this Michigan game was several guys yeah, that had flu-like things. And uh, I heard that. All yeah. The, yeah. So yeah. What's that old line, John Cooper? Don't catch up with you till it catches up to you. Well, I just don't think Ohio State should ever be in a position to be bullied on the line I of agree. scrimmage. And let's face it now, before we transition to defense, they've been had a void at linebacker now for three to four years, I think, on top talent. Oh, I oh. – Right? Three, no. I thought they were really good at linebacker uh, in two, in 2020. I thought that was a very nice unit. Pete Werner, uh, right on down the line. Tough Borland. The pandemic year, 2020? The 2020, I thought that was a very good uh, deep uh, linebacker unit. It, uh, four guys, including Justin Hilliard. Pete Warner, there's no Tom, there's no Tom Cousinos or Pepper Johnsons or Chris Feelings on those rosters, and I don't see them there. I think that sometimes they're a step behind, and they're getting bullied at times with a powerful running game. We saw that. Yeah. And sometimes they're out of position. That's, I, I, that's I had a problem with scheme more than I did yeah, the players was, involved. The scheme wasn't sound. We saw the Oregon <laughs> game. The scheme. Wasn't I don't sound. ever want my linebackers just stepping up into like oblivion and getting like basically shaded off a of play, win, et cetera. To win nowadays. That's a scheme situation. To win or a that, teaching nowadays situation. at the top level defensively, you need to have, be a multiple scheme system. And they weren't. They were sticking with one scheme. But you watch Alabama and Georgia, what they do, very similar because they're two coaches that think alike that work together. They can go from cover zero to cover two to cover three to cover one, and they can play man. They can do it all at the drop of a hat, and they're well-versed in it, and their linebackers are well-versed in it, and they complement each other. So if you run certain blitzes, the secondary, the two safeties know what to do to crowd the line of scrimmage to complement what, the line, is, what the, the line is doing, what the front is doing. And I don't see that with Ohio State all the time. Now, he's made a change of coordinator. Yeah. And uh, Jim Knowles has an oh, ex yeah. excellent reputation. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm sure he'll fix it. But they got to they gotta bring in some more talent linebacker, which they are doing. Yeah. And then, you know, <laughs> and they got guys coming back. Cody Simon was playing a bad, with a bad shoulder all year, for example. Didn't play. Everybody has game. injuries. So. Uh, Tommy, bad shoulders for a linebacker is pretty tough. Yeah, but everybody uh, gets but, but But then again, they kept throwing him out there because he was the best they had. He followed my drift. Uh, I think the, uh, the the move of Cage Stover over to linebacker is going to help them down the road. Uh, Steel Chambers needs to put on a little bit of weight, but there's a guy that has a big upside, in my opinion. Uh, uh, right on down the line, there are guys, like you said, I think the cavalry's coming over the hill with the new general. You know. And uh, the new general leading the way. And, uh, and Jim Knowles, I'm very interested in seeing where he takes this because, number one, what, what uh, Ryan Day wants most of all is he wants a confident, aggressive, defense they should have an aggressive defense exactly your defense should complement your offense but what's all the way let me throw one more thing in there when you're knocking on the linebackers what bothered me all year though in, in some of the big games was how offensive linemen were getting to the second level almost unfettered sure and blocking on these linebackers all kinds of combination well, of things you, were going on there it wasn't just i tell you this, this. it was really this missed this. this year was tommy Togia. i wish he'd come absolutely back. He they really missed helped. him in the championship game well, last know, year uh, what i'm as a head coach 
your defense should complement your offense and vice versa. This offense is always going to be explosive and can score any one strike given Ryan Day's a head coach and the quarterbacks he's going to have. Yes. Given that's a fact, the last thing you want on defense is allow a team to drive 80 yards from 12 plays and eat up the clock. If you're going to get beat, take a, take a gamble. Get beat on one play, you're back on offense. Don't let them do that and keep your offense off the field. Yeah. Michigan exploited that to a T. So he needs to develop a defense that's just as aggressive as the offense because it's going to complement the offense. And that means you blitz whenever you want to blitz. And if you get burned, so be it. You're going to come back and score right away as opposed to letting them eat up the clock and the time. But let's go back a year Wait ago. A Third down, real quick Third down efficiency, offensively and defensively, is always the true referendum of what you've got going on. And you know, on. they had a bad third down defense this year. You know what I saw in the Penn State game? In the, in the real game, the games that counted, absolutely. If, if you go back and look at the Penn State game, they blitzed more than they did, I think, the entire year. You know when they blitzed? First and second down. On third down and seven or longer, I'm not sure they called one blitz. I'd have to go look at this. And, and the third down rate, I, Penn State had a tremendous, probably over 60% third down conversion rate. They were blitzing on first and second, real effective. Yeah. Get them behind the chains. They call off the dogs and drop eight yeah. or seven on third down yeah. and give up a first down. I was watching that game. It just puzzled me. It was working. So if it keeps working, they don't adjust. And Sean Clifford had trouble adjusting. So did his, his offensive line. Keep doing it until they fix it. Yeah. But I just saw some things that it was discouraging for me on a coaching staff at this level at this university was doing some things defensively. And I, I, let's go back to a year ago. We're sitting on the beach in Fort Lauderdale the day after the Alabama game. Yeah. You attributed the that, same conversation. You attributed that 52 points mostly to Ohio State was without so many players in line of scrimmage because yeah. of COVID and Alabama was historically good. And I argued with you a little bit about the guy that was the coordinator at that time. I didn't think was cut out to be the coordinator at that time. And, I, and since then, uh, I got some pretty good sources to know Steve Sarkeesian, who was the offensive coordinator at Alabama. And when he gave them a couple of looks early in that game from the press box, and this is 100% reliable, he looked at the other coaches and said, we're going to have a field day tonight. I cannot believe they're lining up the way they're lining up. And he's told several people that now that he's at Texas, you know, he, he can say those things because he's no longer uh, at Alabama. He's probably not going to play Ohio State again. He was shocked at the looks they were giving him. Yeah. And, and you and I talked about this. And I think you I, had to put your quote best players on the I field. I said a year man. ago, I think he needs to make a change now. And, and let's face it, Kerry Coombs is a great guy, great recruiter, great representative of the university. He will never say a bad thing. Some guys aren't cut out to be coordinators, they're cut out to be position coaches. And I hope they keep him. Yeah. But that being said, I could tell a year ago, and we talked about it a little bit, and you sort of shot me down on that as well. No, you know what? No, I don't ladies think and gentlemen, wait, I don't I'm think not going to go any farther. I don't think he's what I said was, 2020 should not be a referendum on anything, basically, long-term, one way or the other. But the problem is now you've got to have another season to where you find out. I agree with what you said. I agree that I did shoot you down only because Ohio State was missing so many key personnel that changed the tenor of their defense. But, wait a minute, wait a minute, finish. But number three, I agreed with you also that uh, definitely you want to see some some difference. I mean, you want to see some changes made and 2020 didn't prove to me at all that they had the right people. In I place. just think they wrote off the personnel shortages in Alabama's just historically good offense yeah. as a reason, instead of really doing a deep dive on the reasons, if you'd have made the switch, then that yeah. Oregon name game would never would have happened. You'd have won that ball game. And no matter what happened, you'd probably get in the playoff. Yeah. So I, to me, he's making the change. One You're year, right. One you year. That. He's making the change one year late. Now, fortunately, for him, he is making the change. But I've seen some headlines that Ryan Day is not scared to make a change, not scared to put himself out there. Well, he's reacting versus being proactive to me. And I know I'm going to get ripped to shreds for saying this, but I said it all going into 2022, what is it, 2021, that I thought I'd have the wrong guy coordinator. And yeah. you and I argued after the Minnesota game about it. Man, did we argue about that? Oh, because we were, I yeah. was like, we were shouting. Uh, I was just like, uh, I was as like, what do you want to call it? As critical the defense as you can get. Uh, I mean, when a team just keeps doing the same thing over and over and you can't stop it until that guy gets hurt, you know, yeah, that guy's a great running back. Obviously, when he left the game, it was a totally different game. But then uh, definitely with Oregon, when they ran the same play with a different look, but basically the same play three straight times around the left end, never I wasn't defending anybody. Never adjusted. I was, I was never defending anybody in that situation. I basically was saying a change had to be made. Ryan Day knew a change had to be made. He did make a change, and now he's making a he's made an even bigger change, which I think, and I, I'm not sure the changes are done 
<clears throat> defensively as we record this uh, podcast, I think you're going to be you're going to see a couple of other things drop you know, before the, before the start of spring ball. Those first those first three or four games, and then the Alabama game, going back to last game of last year, was the worst Ohio State defense I've seen since 1981. 1980 and 81. I don't know, 2013 was pretty damn bad. 1980 and 81. Those defenses were historically bad. You can look at the numbers. Purdue's quarterback, Illinois' quarterback, set school records throwing against that defense they couldn't stop the pass you know who their secondary coach was in 80 and 81 tim a guy named nick saint nick, nick saban yeah. and he got fired but think about that now yeah. all these years later he's got yeah. seven national championships and he was he's a, a genius and he got fired at ohio state because they had the worst secondary two years in a row they've yeah. ever had in the history of their football program it is amazing real quick uh tell an anecdote one more time is that uh he went into protest the firing of uh, he went into Earl Bruce's office to protest the firing of, uh, who was it? Denny Fazell. Denny Fazell. I was there that day. I was at St. John Arena yeah. where their offices were. And they're at St. John Arena, the football offices. And Earl had made up his mind after the Liberty Bowl because that defense was so poor. Oh, yeah. Fire the coordinator, Maybe. Danny Fazell, and the defensive line coach, Steve Sable. Well, Nick Saban was the secondary coach. He was going to keep him. But his best friend was Danny Frizzell. So in the middle of the meeting, after he fired those two, Nick Saban stood up and gave him a piece of his mind and told Earl, if you had allowed us to run the defense, we wouldn't, we wouldn't even be coming to this. And he threw in some expletives and Earl pointed at him and said, you're fired too. And the three of them got fired that day. And I was standing outside the hallway when Nick Saban come walking out, carrying a box of his possessions. And he ended up going to uh, Navy. Navy, who they just beat. Yeah. And it was the break of his life for one reason. Yeah. He met a man named Steve Belichick at Navy. The father Steve, of. Father of Bill Belichick, who he became good friends with, changed his career yeah. when he hired him away from Toledo to become defensive coordinator of the Browns. And those two bonded and talked about defense for the next couple of years. And Nick will tell everyone that was the break of my career to coach under Bill Belichick and learn defenses and look how it worked out. So sometimes the firing yeah. is not all bad. Well, look at Bill Belichick. He got fired by the Browns and now he's considered the greatest. That was more personality conflict with our still, he got fired by the Browns. Yeah, uh, right. You know, the way they handled that, that whole season when they uh, right. suddenly dropped the bomb that they were, you know, leaving. Here's what I tell other people. It's crazy. Nick Saban gets, now he's the best uh, coach in Nick the NFL Saban history. gets fired from a job in 1981 and making $22,500 yeah. a year. Yeah. Thought of, momentarily about getting out of coaching but he didn't know what else he would do yeah i uh, grew up in west virginia and now think of his net worth now and yeah. what he makes now and how much money he's got in the bank now he's got a statue forget about he's got a statue at more of the statues along these lines how much he's revered now it's yeah. crazy yeah. how things can change your life yeah. he was only 31 years old when that happened yeah well real quick before we go um because you like i said you follow high state football pretty closely what do you see down the road for this team do you see this team getting us act together defensively. Do you like the fact of going to Jim Knowles and this different way maybe of thinking about things, a different look at things, a different perspective, maybe more from a 45-degree angle, if you yeah. follow my drift there. And then number two, with C.J. Stroud coming back, these receivers are where they stepped up. And uh, with Trevion Henderson and Mayan Williams back in the fold, an offensive line is going to be led by another guy, and it's only losing maybe, uh, what, uh, two players off that starting yeah. lineup, it looks like. Uh, what do you see in 2022? Uh, for Ohio State fans to maybe look forward well, to. Well, what I see is this spring practice, this session will probably be the most important spring practice uh, grouping of a month Ohio State's undergone a long time for this reason. He's going to teach all new schemes to them. He's going to be versatile, I believe, from watching Oklahoma State. You're where, talking about defensively. Yeah, defensively, where they'll be able to uh, mix things up and run did all the coverages he wants to run, all the fronts he wants. He's very aggressive. Yeah. He's very cutting edge. He's, he's a great hire, a great hire. Yes. Uh, there's a couple names out there that I like just as well, not better, but uh, he, he got a good guy. Yeah. And there's a few of them that can do this. He, you know, and obviously Oklahoma State can't match the salary Ohio State play, pays. So they, yeah. so they got, he's bringing in his. Safety. Hey, sometimes you got to throw your weight around. And that's what Ohio State did. Well, I think they should do more of it. But anyway, he's bringing in a safety that played for him. They're getting a transfer from Arizona State. The running back is going to be the linebacker. He's getting some reinforcements. Yes. Uh, they they got younger guys that are coming back. They have good recruiting class defensively. I, there's no doubt they're going to be better. I think Josh Proctor is going to be healthy, right? Yeah, that is supposed a, to be. That that's is the huge. most people. That's, people keep not mentioning that. I think that was so huge to this year oh, and, and the way things turned when out. When I looked at the defense, and absolutely. I'm not going to I'm not going to name names, but one position jumped out at me that maybe they were a little slow, a little behind at that position. So fortunately, they get him back. 
And uh, that is a key position. They'll be upgraded tremendously as long as he's healthy with him back yeah. there. I think they're going to be leaps and bounds better. And you're going to read about that as the season goes on, how much better the 2022 defense would be than the 2021 defense. Offensively, they're always going to be able to move the ball and score. And with C.J. Stroud, these receivers, he's always going to have. We saw Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, Run day schemes. The, the schemes and everything. Now, I wish he, like I said, improved that red zone offense a little more. What's That's on his agenda, man. You I know it's so, on his but agenda. But he needs to, like I said, go more run-heavy formations. And there'll be a complete football team. To win a national championship, you have to be a complete football team. Not have the highest scoring offense in the country and a defense that gets pounded upon and, and of course. lets them go up and down the field in 12 plays. And that's what happened in the Michigan game. So, uh, you know, I hope he sees the big picture. And He's not a guy that's going to stand pat and lose and keep losing because he's loyal to assistants that should not be there. You have to make the tough call and fire guys or move them around that aren't worthy of being at Ohio State or at the top level of the Big Ten. And uh, obviously, he's shown that he can do that. In my taste, he did it a year late, but at least he did it. Real quick before we go, isn't it amazing, though, in football how a matchup, like styles make fights, man. Uh, uh, longtime boxing uh, trainer said it to me a long time ago, and I, I, and I swear by it. But isn't it amazing how Ohio State this year was not equipped really uh, for what Michigan threw at them finally. I'm talking about from a Shocking. defensive standpoint. To a little bit, to a certain extent, from an offensive standpoint. Let's face it, Aiden Hutchinson had a hell of a day. Uh, but the bottom line is, but they were better equipped to pro probably attack Alabama and Georgia yeah. in a bowl game. I mean, in a bowl game, in a, in a college football playoff situation, but they didn't get to get to that well, game. Uh, isn't, it, isn't, it, isn't it really funny how those kind of things – you know, when I, look at, when, I look at this Ohio, when I look at this Ohio State team located in Columbus, Ohio, it was a warm weather team. Yeah. You know what a warm weather yeah. team is to me, a team Matt, that throws it, all, throws it all over the field and game is not as tough as they should be in the trenches and run it or defend the run when they need to be. Yeah. So all week long before the game in Ann Arbor, I kept looking at the weather every day to see what they're going to get. And Michigan got the perfect storm 10 minutes before kickoff. I was there. It didn't start snowing or blowing until 10 minutes before kickoff, and it continued. And like I said, it was worse than what you saw on TV. It, but as the person, but you got to develop a team in the Big Ten in Columbus that can play on both. You yeah. play in August when you're going up and down the field and there's no wind and it's hot. You need a team that can win in November when it's cold and windy, and you got to learn that. And it's just it comes with time, comes with age, comes with experience. And uh, I think uh, maybe you learned a lesson this year. Yeah. But uh, football, you know, is a process. Football isn't you go out and recruit a center, a guard, a playmaking guard, and you've got yourself a basketball team. You've got it continually. The transfer portal keeps changing the complexion of your team from the standpoint of this was a strength last year. Like we, like we said, the quarterback room has never been more astounding than it was at the beginning of the year this past year with the players there and the stars they had on their shoulders, you know. And then suddenly two of them are gone at the end of the year. And you're rebuilding. You got Devin Brown coming in to kid from uh, from Scotts or from Arizona, who played in Oregon or excuse me, Utah, Utah this past year, Corner Canyon High School in Draper, Utah. And uh, it's just funny how you, every year you've now you've got to rebuild a team almost like a an NFL well, yeah, team. It's, it right. is, it's pretty crazy. We have free agency basically. Yeah. So you can use the portal or you can lose the portal in the same method. You lose kids now, you get to develop your depth from maybe from the portal. I State doesn't want to dip in the yeah. portal too much. But you can cherry pick kids that fit your system, good chemistry, good kids, good character kids, and fill some slots. Yeah. And, you know, let's face it, Mel Tucker rebuilt that team in Michigan State through the transfer portal. He, he put the blueprint out there he, for everybody. He came in and did. Now, you, see, a school like Ohio State should never have to do that. Right. They need to fill a position here or there when they lose a kid. But they shouldn't have to rely on that. They should rely on recruiting, development. But quarterback's a unique position. Only one of them can play. Yeah. So if you got a four-star kids behind their starter – Chances are they're going to leave and not see the big picture and stay. They're going to, like Jack Miller did, you know, he's behind two guys yeah. now, yeah. and he's going to go somewhere else to play. But that's, that's going to continue to exist at that position more than any other position. Yeah. You know what's funny about, uh, about Mel Tucker before we go, though? He's literally made it now to where you, as a coach, if you've got your act together, if you're a modern-day coach, you've got all these things going for you and against you, but a lot of them going for you, you have, really have no excuse after two or three years of not producing something, if you follow me, yeah. because the 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 ability to find capable football players has never been <laughs> uh, 
more at, at your fingertips than it is yeah, now. You just have you to, and your organization, you, you can transform a team in a year's time. At Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, schools like that, Clemson, you just got to be careful who you take in of the course. transfer portal. You That's got, the part you of You got it. great locker rooms, great chemistry, your academics align, so forth. But you got to get kids in there that fit your system, that fit your character, everything about it. You, these kids are disgruntled. I mean, they leave for a reason a lot of times. Yeah. They didn't want to win a job. They're disgruntled a little bit. So it, it's a slippery slope. Well, you get that chip training kid, you know, the, the kid who wanted to come to Ohio State at one point, but he ended up going out to – you know, to the sunny state of Arizona coming back now, he's going wanted to be a running back. Now he's going to be a linebacker where he probably should have been in the first place. And you got Tanner McAllister, that safety coming in from Oklahoma State. I mean, if there's a player that you want out on the field in this new Jim Knowles defense is a guy who's run it before from the backside, right. exactly. knows, he can knows help, how to line up. He can help teach the other safeties and corners yeah. what to do. He knows it uh, like the back of his hand. Yeah. And obviously, Jim Knowles wouldn't bring him in if he wasn't a high character kid yeah. and a producer. So, yeah, I mean, transfers like that, when they follow a coach, the coach already knows them. So yeah. there's no mystery there. But now you can set loose like uh, uh, Josh Proctor, if he comes back healthy 100%, Ronnie Hickman, you use him in another vein. I mean, and stuff, there are all kinds of pieces there that in your mind are coming together that this defense could be much better. But I, I want to reemphasize one more point. It reminds me of Jeff Halfley when he came in from 18 yeah. to 19, the defense, the way it changed. One more point I want to make is when you got a head coach like Ryan Day, when you got the offensive talent they have, and they always probably will have as long as head coach, you can afford to be more aggressive on defense every down and distance you could be more if you get beat deep so what you're going to come back and score just don't let them drive the ball more than eight plays 80 yards yeah. and and do that bend but don't break that we've seen in the past and keep everything in front of that's the worst type of defense you can run yeah. when you have an offense on the other side of the field this way yeah so i hope they become more aggressive and and just blitz off take chances try to confuse the quarterback go after them and that's what this universe this what this football team's defense should always look like because you all always have offensive skill talent yeah hey jeff snook thanks for joining me again on thanks, the podcast man. thanks for I, having me again. you know people could just sit in the back seat and listen to us talk because they will definitely hear us because we both yell uh on a continued well, basis i'm deaf uh, so you have to yell. but we we have some interesting conversations they're interesting to me i don't know how interesting they are to anybody else but I love talking football with you because you're my you're my good friend, my good buddy, uh, Jeff Snook. But thanks for joining the Tim Mate Podcast again, my man. Thanks for me, uh, having me, Tim. I appreciate it. You've had some great guests this year. Tough to follow guys like Rex Kern and some of the former players you've had on yeah. here. Uh, you've had some good guests. Yeah, but I, I always enjoy conversations with you, my man. You know what, ladies and gentlemen, until next week, this is a little Tim Mate bonus podcast, just like a year ago with my buddy Jeff Snook. But until next week, we'll see you then. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.